Hello, and welcome to the Dark Material Podcast, where we cut through into the many worlds of his dark materials by Philip Pullman, sometimes subtly, and sometimes not so much. From crystals to crafty crafts, join us in this spoiler-free read-along journey into the dark. I'm Amy. And I'm Ian. This week, we're talking through Chapter 15 of The Amber Spyglass, The Intention Craft. We're at the chapter with the uh, title that's so exciting. You know what? This is one of these episodes where everyone's going to be like, oh my god, Ian's so boring about his fucking Azrael. <laughs> but I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> Let's celebrate the wonder of Azrael. Um, but before it's we do good, that... It's a good chapter. Yes. Lots Last time... Uh, well, basically the effects of knife. My summary is yeah. super short. Um, so, Yorick has misgivings about fixing the knife. Will needs to stop thinking about his mum. And Lyra is there too. <laughs> Wow. They say, they say goodbye to Yorick Rude, and yeah. head off into another world. Rude. To Galavespians coming along for the ride to the world of the dead. Well, at the moment, just to some world with a beach in it. But yes. Ultimately, that's their goal. That was my summary. That is, that is a summarised summary. Great forging happened. Lyra did good twig manoeuvring and wafting and gas clearing of air. Yeah. I mean, that is basically what happened, isn't it? Yep. Anyway, uh, on to this chapter. <laughs> uh, so, the poem for this chapter. Yeah. It's another John Milton cracker. It's another yeah. from Paradise Lost. Yeah. Um, and it's a description of Pandemonium, the palace or castle, or mix of both. Place. The, the fallen angels, devils, demons, not entirely sure which combo of that, build as basically a replacement after they get kicked out of the kingdom of heaven. So, yeah, it's a big Romanesque palace with Doric columns and cool shit. And I quite like that they get their own little uh, palace down in hell. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a fuck you. We can we can have nice things. Yeah. Um, are you, you going to read the quote? Uh, no, because I don't have it in okay, front of me. Okay, it is. Uh, yes, thanks. From the arched roof, pendant by subtle magic, many a row of starry lamps and blazing cressets, fed with naphtha and asphaltus, yielded light as if from a sky. Mm-hmm. So that's describing all the like, you know, the, the lighting in this amazing palace. There's actually loads more that makes it sound really rich and gilded and yeah, covered beautiful, in gold, basically, yeah. covered in gold, uh, like a lot more vain, I think, than what Asriel has, which is basically just, oh, it's a big cave. It's a bit yeah. dark. Should we put some, put some crystals down? Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. loads of those. Yeah. It's a bit light now. Yeah. Oh, they look quite pretty. Oh, well, never mind. Let's go forge some stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more utilitarian, yes. his fortress, I think. Yes, yes, yes. In my head, at least, anyway. And I found a sort of uh, rendering of what it could look like by John Martin, uh, an artist oh. from the early 1800s. And it looks fine. That's not Big square building. I pictured it. Nah. I was sort of picturing it from the description of like being inside and looking up a, a roof. Yes. You know, almost mm-hmm. if you go into a cathedral or yeah. that kind of building where you'd have a very richly decorated roof and you kind of look mm. up at the roof of that that's mm-hmm. why I was picturing them mm-hmm. but yeah from this so screw you John Martin you're yeah. wrong looks like they've made the best of a bad job uh, down the hill you know, <laughs> there's lots of rocky crags and then they've uh, carved this thing out of uh, what's basically a shitty cave yeah um, the picture then for this chapter is uh, as I've written here loads of stone stairs and arches yeah cool that's pretty much it it's kind of Escher-esque isn't it all it's the like crisscrossing around of mm-hmm. <laughs> the stairways yes. what is it in Esherisk. You know what it reminds me of, Amy? <laughs> Building in Valheim in the Iron Age. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're so obsessed with Valheim. Such a good game. 
It is so a good, good game. Minecraft with fighting things. You keep trying to get me to play it, but I know that I'll just become immediately addicted. Yes. So. You'd get so addictive with, I'm, like, making everything neat rows yeah, and having to, like... I'm much worse than you about Level stuff the like ground, that. and then, oh, it's not quite level, so I better now mine the ground, and then yeah. re-level it. Yeah, yeah, you'd I'll be just, quite I'll obsessive just do one more it. thing. I'll just do <laughs> just one do more one thing. More. Yeah, yeah. Eight hours later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm. So, on to this chapter. It's a great chapter. Let's, if it's all right, come back to... Yeah, come back to the chapter title. Oh yeah, slightly yeah, yeah. later on. Yeah, uh, I've got a point. In... I've got a note. I've okay. got a thing. So, but yes, let's. Yeah, that's fine. So we start this chapter with Mrs. Coulter. So we mm. clearly have progressed in time somewhere else, um, and she's demanding to know what's happened to Lyra. She's bound to a chair up in the adamant tower of Lord Azriel's uh, castle, palace, thing, fortress combo. Her demon is also bound in a silver chain, which I think is cool and interesting. Do yeah. demons need to be bound in special metal? Well, yeah, that's the interesting one, you know, actually. Type vibes and... Silver is one of those metals that I think historically in mythology and stuff has a lot of magical, mystical properties, yes. highly valued, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They don't really talk about why silver. I know there's a thing about... Um, is it sandalwood or something that makes pans sleepy? Cedarwood in the Cedarwood, thing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So demons are affected by certain materials differently. I think this is one of those. Yeah. Um, he's obviously not like soporific or anything, but I wonder if... I don't know. Silver does things. Uh, Asriel (laughs) is sitting nearby, writing something, and basically ignoring her as she rails quite hard. Like, she's not Mm. just saying, oh, by the way, where's Lyra? She's, you know, kind of agonised and impassioned and angry. Exactly. He does, though, eventually confront her, saying that he frankly doesn't care where Lyra is, and that she should have done as she was told, and that now he can't waste any more resources on her. Very mm. much in the Azriel school of fatherhood of, well, I tried once, fuck him. It's very, um, very harsh. Yes. And it's a bit unclear if this is... Uh, what time? What timing is this? So, I guess last chapter, Will and Lyra were like, okay, bye, Galavespians, we're going into a different world now. We're not waiting for the gyroptors which have been sent after us. Yeah. Um, so, do you think that's Lord Azriel being like, well, fuck, I've just sent, like another troop of gyroptors to go and find them and I've just found out that they've fucked off somewhere else. Like, I, I can't yeah, follow probably. them through all the worlds. Is that yeah. is that his reaction to this, do you think? Yeah. Or is he, like, generally lying a little bit here and saying, I'm not chasing after her when actually we know that he is chasing after her? No, you know I think I mean? it's the former. Is it, think, yeah, it's I the think, timing of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it is quite harsh and I wanted to just read something from chapter five. Mm. when he's in the Adamant Tower with Stalmario and it's just those two mm-hmm. and he's talking about his thoughts on Lyra and how much he cares about what she's doing or not mm. and he says um, she came to me on Svalbard and I ignored her you remember the shock I needed a sacrifice and the first child to arrive with my own daughter but when I realised there was another child with her so she was safe I relaxed was that a fatal mistake I didn't consider her after that not for a moment but she is important Stalmaria and Stalmaria says what can she do and she says and he basically says not much. <laughs> yeah. There's that's not there's nothing special about her. Even really, Lilhida isn't that impressive to him, basically. Mm, mm, mm. So I think I just thought that was interesting context to work out how much of this that he's saying to her is being truthful about mm-hmm. how much he cares about Lyra or not. Because to me, reading this, it's like, fuck, that's super harsh. Kind of. It's your own kid. Yeah. It's super duper harsh. I think so. I don't know. In the in the apologist Azriel school of thought, I do often stand by the yes, she's his daughter, 
and all fathers probably should care disproportionately about their kids. Yeah. But the dude's trying to, like, kill God. Hmm. You know, and as we see through this chapter, there's a lot going on in in real land. So, potentially, in your head, he's kind of compartmentalising. Yes. I've spent, like, three hours talking to my commanders, communicating with Lord Roke, coordinating gyropter things, keeping track of all this shit. Meanwhile, I'm not focusing on, I don't know, how are the tank battalion getting on what's our financial situation how is that uh i don't know bureaucratic yeah uh substructure of put in place place working my head of hr is unhappy and is about to take more sick leave so i guess at the moment because she's far away and therefore he can't really help her he's sort of like well you know what she's just gonna have to do on her own yes whereas the volvanga thing was more like i needed a child and then she appeared fuck yeah. That's different. Yeah. That's different because now I can't compartmentalize the fact that she's with mm. some John Skull or somewhere I don't have to mm-hmm. worry about her. That's what I see this as, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, yeah, and then I guess Coulter butts in into his kind of diatribe about how useless Lyra is, saying that he can't mean all that. Um, but Azrael then in turn comes back with, the fuss she has caused is out of all proportion to her merits. An ordinary English girl, not very clever. And Coulter is not having that shit. She butts in, in turn, with ordinary uh, as an exclamation and is shocked that Azriel would dare to call Lyra um, ordinary and usual. And Coulter basically goes on to say that, um, you know, Lyra is uh, unique and important, clever, and mm. you know, a bunch of other compliments, basically. And there's yeah. this back and forth between Azriel and Coulter where Azriel's basically denying her significance and Coulter is like, no, she's the best. Yeah. She's the best. I love Lyra. Yeah, yeah. Lyra's the greatest. Almost every bad word he has against her, she bandies with a positive one. Yes. Like when she says he's in, she, she's, she's impulsive, she's like, she's, she's generous, dishonest, brave, greedy, loving, clever, unique, you know, is mm-hmm. a direct counterpoint to every single yep. one. And eventually, Azriel cuts through this uh, tit for tat saying of Lyra, she is unique. To have tamed and softened you, that's no everyday feat. She's drawn your poison, Marisa. She's taken your teeth out. Your fire's been quenched in a drizzle of sentimental piety. Who'd have thought it? The pitiless agent of the church, the fanatical prosecutor of children, the inventor of hideous machines to slice them apart and look in their terrified little beings for any evidence of sin. And along comes a foul-mouthed, ignorant little brat with dirty fingernails, and you cluck and settle your feathers over her like a hen. Well, I admit... The child must have some gift I've never seen myself. But if all it does is to turn you into a doting mother, it's a pretty thin, drab, puny little gift. And now you might as well be quiet. I've asked my chief of commanders to come in for an urgent conference. And if you can't control your noise, I'll have you gagged. Ugh. What a character assassination of both of them. It's pretty, like... It's pretty damning. It's pretty, like... uh... So what do Mm. you think, reading this... (laughs) So tell me, Ian, how do you feel hearing this from Asriel? <laughs> uh, how many somersaults is your is it good? Brain I don't know. Like, make? <laughs> okay. How far can you stretch the apologism? Okay. So to some degree, <laughs> to some extent, he's kind of right. In so far as mm-hmm. I think so far in this book series. Coulter and Azriel have been almost two sides of the same coin. Equally powerful, equally, I don't know, self-controlled, equally passionate, and equally yeah. of cosmic importance in the war on God and shit. 
Well, that's what I think they've been set up to be. Yeah. Azriel's obviously currently doing more, but I don't think that's because he's more capable. Mm. I think Coulter's just ended up doing different things. She could easily be... Her focus has been elsewhere. Yeah, she could be a commander in a different world of a different army, and it, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and I sort of agree with Azriel here that this whole thing with Lyra, her becoming a doting mother, is a bit like, oh, that's somewhat of a waste of time and talent. It's great that she's got some compassion for Lyra. Lyra needs some parentage. But equally, if Coulter's this once in a... Well, not even once in a generation. Once ever in multiple worlds kind of level of competent in a bunch of different ways. It's a little bit boring that she's just kind of now the Lyra fan number one. Mm. <laughs> Maybe? I, I'm not actually sold on my own plot, line of reasoning from, from there. From a but, plot perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But from a character point of view, no. There's nothing wrong with, with her having the p- capacity to love another human. No, that's true. <laughs> Touché. Because <laughs> I think that's the like the horribleness of it for me is that it's just, it's almost how disgusted he appears that, mm, at that, the sentimentality. Um, at, at the sentimentality and that mm. how pathetic it is. That's true. Oh, you actually like your own daughter. Gross. Yeah. It's... It's very difficult to read. But, okay, here's the here's the counter argument to that. However, I don't is, know if he... is between the lines here. He's saying you've lost perspective. She's she's taken away your cutting fight, and you've lost all sense of proportion. Yes, she's your daughter. Yes, you love her, but she is one child, and you need to fucking focus. Fine, but don't say it like this. Yeah, true. <laughs> also, true. don't don't um, undermine the don't love. denigrate emotion and compassion and mm. and feeling. And then use words so cuttingly yes. in this way and like mm. derisively. Mm-hmm. That I think is like, yeah, just kind of a big gross. <laughs> yeah. And also to diminish Lyra to be like, oh, if her only talent yeah. is to kind of soften you, well, then that's a thin, what is it, drab, puny little gift. Yeah. 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 Go as real. <laughs> also, there is a part of me though that is like, we'll come back to this a bit later. To what extent is he just ruffling her feathers? Yeah, there's a lot of that in this chapter. What's and like, it's what really people are actually doing and thinking? Difficult mm. to read, mm-hmm. and I can understand why Asriel is one of the most contentious characters in the series mm. because you could read this and think, "What an absolute knobhead! Mm. This guy is a complete shit." Mm. And I sort of, to some extent, sort of eighty percent agree. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. I think there is like an element of doubt there, though, that is he just saying what he knows will upset her mm. in order to manipulate her to get her to do what he wants her to do? Mm. Don't know. I don't think so. I read this as much more what it is. Mm. Final point, because then we should move on. Otherwise, we'll end up. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, this chapter yeah, yeah. will be two hours long, I suppose. I mean, he's not doing it out of love, but is there an element of tough love? I was just thinking of an analogy where, let's say, a friend of yours was absolutely besotted with someone mm. who was no good for them. They mm. were just playing them around and it was just a waste of everyone's time. Mm. And you could see that and they couldn't. You may not say it like this. This is yeah, kind of a yeah, dick yeah. way of saying it. But equally, he's not exactly patronising Coulter here, is he, by trying to deliver this message softly. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there an element of tough love? And and himself just being annoyed and disappointed. Like, yeah. Coulter, it's fine to love Lyra, but what the fuck? Like, yeah, don't become be a useless or, or, well, yeah, like the analogy of someone who's infatuated with someone else. Yeah. Don't Especially become beholden you to your emotions there. with this. 
no good for them. I think also the 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 point that maybe supports that and some other theories about why he's being like this, aside from just being a shit person, because that explains if if he is just a shit person, that explains a lot. But other options include he's trying to annoy her deliberately, or he's mm. trying to force her to get some perspective mm. on what's happening mm. more widely. Things that support the second two options is that he actually is like, well, I'm having an important meeting now with my main commanders. Shut up or I'll gag you, rather than just, like, get out the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why doesn't he just remove her? Yeah, yeah, There's yes, a reason that yeah. he wants her in the room. That's true. There's a reason that he mm. wants to persuade her to, mm. you know, not derail stuff enough by being in the room. And it could mm. be that he's, like he wants to set some stuff in motion that we see later on about potentially her wanting to be a spy for her or potentially he's like, there's a bigger picture here. I want you to try and understand that by sitting in on one commanding meeting Mm. and then you'll see what we're working on and maybe you'll be inspired enough to join us. Yeah. So anyway. Yep. So in response to this diatribe though, Coulter spits full in Azrael's face. <laughs> so, uh, so Lyra. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's kind of pointed out. She was more yeah. like Lyra than she thought. It's the least Mrs. Coulter's like, like thing we've ever seen her do. Kind of. Think about how poised and how elegant and how... Yeah, ev- but it's everything. not out of character, I don't it's think. It's not out of character, she, no. She's clearly like passionate enough to go to that. If she needs to. Yeah. But normally um, her and Lyra are, yeah. are opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm, she mm. definitely veers more towards Lyra here. Yes. <laughs> um, Azrael Lowe stays stone cold and just kind of calmly wipes away the spit and says that a gag would put a stop to that kind of behaviour too yeah. and goes to get a gag. Mrs. Coulter then kind of recoils from that and points out that it will make him look weak or sort of uh, ungentlemanly on whatever yeah. in front of his commanders. And she Prince effectively, of politeness. <laughs> yes. Uh, and she basically promises not to be, I don't know, a disruptive, a child, whatever. Yeah. Um, so he unties her, leaving her demon chained, though. Mm. Which I think, again, is a kind of interesting casting shade on the monkey. It is interesting, um, yeah. I think that does reflect more on the monkey than Asriel. Definitely. Yeah. I don't think it's that, oh, well, Asriel's still being a partial dick here. Well, yeah. He is, it's, it's he is kind- a little, but... Yeah. It's uh, kind of a point to him, like, okay, you're fine to stay, but you're still not trusted. You're still basically... Yeah, and especially not... Not like the that. demon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Coulter then catches sight of herself in the mirror. And uh, after the fighting, living in the cave forever, she's bedraggled and still haggard with the after effects of the Galavespian sting. Mm. So Azriel points to a small bathroom in the corner of his office, which is described as hardly bigger than a closet. Yeah. And Azriel definitely gives me, like, communism... Yeah, um, definitely some of that, isn't there? Maybe... Uh, and this is where my history is really shit... But perhaps some of the communism from, like, South America and Cuba. I don't know why, but I almost see him wearing that green that green uniform. Interesting. Military uniform. Interesting. I don't know why? what it is about that association that's got, I don't know, like, Fidel Castro vibes. And maybe this is completely wrong. And Fidel Castro was, like, a man of the people at the front, but then lived in I a mean, palace and had loads of yeah. shit. I don't know. There's a minimalism and a Spartanness yeah. that makes me think of... Some part of military history and dress that, yeah. for whatever reason, I think is Cuban. Mm-hmm. And I think that says something about Azrael as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't pay attention to Azrael here because it's much more interesting what's happening with Mrs. Coulter right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, shut up, Azrael fan over there. Yeah. Because this is yeah. this is so out of character for her to have kind of not cared so much about how she appears at all times, even mm. when she was slumming it in the cave. She was so careful about having her hair done 
properly at all times, even pinning flowers on her. Yes, that's um, true. Mm-hmm. The kind of lapel of her jacket and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is the most messy we've seen her look. Mm-hmm. And it's because she's genuinely quite distressed emotionally at this point. She's mm-hmm. under the most passionate strain that we've seen her. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting that now she's like, oh shit, I'm a total mess. I better go tidy myself up. She's yeah. kind of coming back to her normal self a bit more. That's yeah. very true. Yeah, yeah. So then King of Gunway, Lord Roke, and his excellent Blue Hawk, and a new character come into the room for a meeting. And the new mm. character is an angel called Zephania. Mm-hmm. She's described as being a higher rank than Balthamos or Baruch, and so she's slightly more visible in the room via a, quote, shimmering, disconcerting light that seemed to come from somewhere else, which is cool. Yes. And it sounds like some of the angels that Ruta Scardi saw before, which I think were described as though they were lit by a sun from yeah. another world type thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same, yeah. 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 Uh, the commanders actually give bows to Mrs. Coulter and she settles herself peacefully into a chair, holding the chained golden monkey in her arms. She's just such a G, how like she's like, yes, I am very pristine and proper and prim. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally not even showing the fact that my whole body aches with this venom stuff and I've just been screaming and crying in distress. Mm. Um, the meeting then starts quite quickly with King Ogunway giving a recount of the recent battle where they captured Mrs. Coulter and Lyra and Will escaped. Apparently they killed 17 Swiss guard and took out two zeppelins, but they themselves only lost five men and one gyroptor and some minor damage injuries, which is... Good KD ratio. So good. Yep. They clearly completely overpowered the Magisterium, which is interesting. He says to Mrs. Coulter that he hopes she feels they treated her courteously as an aside, and she responds with this great subtle dig where she says, I am quite content with the way you treated me, sir. Interesting. Okay, so They're- you read that as a subtle dig. Yes, because there is a point where in the text it says she puts a very slight, subtle yeah. emphasis on the word "you," and you interpret that as the rest of her, the rest of the men, and the military campaign, and Azriel and everyone else is not treating her kindly. Oh no, I, I assumed it was a dig at Azriel to be like, I'm quite happy the way that you treated me. Oh, Azriel is being a dick. I read it, <laughs> and this this says a lot about, I guess, how I perceive Coulter. Okay, but I also think I'm just right because of the rest of the chapter. That this is her oh, being sexy. buttering him up a bit. Oh, maybe. And or they actually did just shag around. Uh, I'm quite content with the way you treated me. No, no, that's no? too far. Come on, that's too far. I no. think there's no. that hint. No. I do. No. I don't think they actually did have sex, but I think this is her flirtatiousness. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that because she definitely is assessing She who, looks him up and down as she says the words you. 100%. <laughs> Amy, I'm quite content with the way you treated me. <laughs> Yeah. Get a room in. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. It's that e- makes but, sense. But that makes sense, actually. I think the dig I, at Azriel was right. really interesting, though, because she's, she's doing both in one move. She's mm, Miss Scotter. She's fucking smart. She knows how to work Yeah, so people. she looks him up and down and then just glances at Azriel with some shit, like, shame. Yeah, shame yeah, yeah. Yeah. Two for one. Amazing. <laughs> um, so then Lord Roke updates everyone on what um, Lord... Lady Selmachia and Chevalier Tiaias have oh, learned... Sorry, I've got more yeah. Azriel fanboyism. Oh, God. After uh, King of Gunway <laughs> gives his account, Azriel says thank you and that his force did well. Good feedback, good management, you know. That's not that good feedback. It's pretty good. All right. Because he doesn't have to shush, spend the time, shush. Amy. He doesn't I've have got, to spend I've, the time. You know, he's got, Azriel, he's got shit to do. He's yeah. got Lyra not to care okay. about. So, you know, he could right. just move on. But he knows how to manage his stuff. That's not really managing... Yeah. No, 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 I I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I just think that's the worst point of all to to actually pull I will that out. Find I'd all make of them. the same point for that later on in this chapter, and it's a better point, Ian. Oh, that's it, what I'm well, saying. we can make it then as well, don't we? <laughs> 
So then Lord Rogue updates everyone on what um, Samakia and Chialis have learned since following Lyra and Will. So now they all know that they are safe in another world. The knife was broken, but has since been mended and that Samakia and Chialis will stick closely to them. And he's quite confident, in fact, that his two spies will not lose them. Which is interesting. Hmm. He says his last he last spoke to them five minutes ago, so this is basically in time with the end of the last chapter. Which is kind of why I thought Lord Asriel didn't know about the whole his gyropters being wasted. Oh, I see. Yeah. Hmm. Because he can't have known that yet. Yeah. But anyway. He describes one difficulty in that situation. He knows that the children plan to do something completely different and that their minds cannot be changed. He even says... If they were to kill him in his sleep, the knife would be useless to us. Hmm. Which is like, good. I'm glad that's not an option. I mean, don't lie that you've considered it, but... Well, it is an option that, that they've ruled out. <laughs> that it's an option you've ruled yeah. out, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one seems to know what the plan is that Lyra and Will are hatching, and Lord Azrael even asked Mrs. Coulter about it, but she says that the boy is stubborn and well mm. used to keeping secrets and that Lyra is impossible to read. So they are in the dark. So Lord Asriel and his forces are unlikely to learn of their plan to go to the world of the dead until Lyra and Will tell the Galavespians that they're with, basically. Yes. So Asriel notes that whilst the Galavespians are following Will and Lyra, this means that they've lost their eyes in the Magisterium. So they'll have to rely on alethiometer readings. But to everyone's surprise, Mrs. Coulter speaks up here for the first time, saying quite openly that she doesn't know about other branches, but the CCD has a reader called Fra Pavel Rasek, who is good, but slow. Mm. So for now, uh, they won't know where Lyra is for another few hours. It's and I really was like, precise. few hours mm, like, is, that That doesn't seem that slow. And also her ability to predict how quickly he will find out. Yeah. It, mm, unlikely, but sure. King Gunway is a little disconcerted at her involvement in the meeting and asks Asriel why she's here, if she's part of the council, mm. what her function is and why she can't be taken elsewhere. Mm. And Asriel simply explains that she's a guest captive, which is a bit of a contradiction. She's a guest captive, yeah. prisoner, friend, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that she may have useful information on the Magisterium. And Lord Rogue asks, kind of creepily, if she'll need to be tortured to reveal information, looking directly at her the whole time, which is just, wow, mm-hmm. great. He's a little bit psychotic, this guy. Yeah, he's, he's like Azrael. He's great. <laughs> it's difficult to know if he's just... Pragmatist. Yeah, that, that, was, that was my point, right? Is I, he just a pragmatist? I think it's that and a threat. Or is he a little bit war-weathered? Or is it just like, do I need to torture you? I think, I think, I think yeah. it's both pragmatic and a threat, and that's yeah. why the threat holds some weight. But either way, Mrs. Coulter just laughs in his face, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> and and she says, I would have thought Lord Asriel's commanders would know better than to expect truth to come out of torture. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good, but also uh, hypocrite much, Mrs. Yeah. Coulter? Because you've been torturing people yeah, this whole time. Is, yeah. Oh, and that's why Asriel's like almost admiring of her barefaced insincerity. Yes. Because he knows that she does use torture and does yeah. think that it's, it can yield yeah. results. Uh, and he, he yeah. also like sort of smiles to himself. I think he's missed her zingers as well. Yeah. Because yeah. let's, let's be fair, right? Yeah. These commanders are all great, but they're hardly a laugh a minute. Exactly. Mrs. Coulter yeah. is much more his kind of like... Yeah, yeah. banter, the banter ban- boss. Banter yeah. style, the banter boss. Yeah. Um, I mean, these guys are taking this whole mission to God thing a little seriously. <laughs> I mean, lighten up, guys. <laughs> so King of Gunway gets into it a bit here with Lord Asriel criticising him openly and fairly about including Mrs. Coulter. And it's clear that it's not Mrs. Coulter that he doubts, 
because Asriel promises to vouch for her or be held responsible, mm. but rather that he'd outlawed Asriel himself. Mm. Um, simply because he's concerned that Mrs. Coulter can tempt Asriel easily, so he'd much rather that Asriel keeps her well away from himself. Mm. And here's a point, Ian, yes. about Lord Asriel's leadership. Yeah. Because interestingly, he's quite calm and fine with this open and clear doubt being expressed. And again, there's definitely a like, respectful tone yeah. between them. Yeah. Um, it's quite nice to see, I guess, that Lord Asriel isn't just an autocrat. It's more of a first among equals kind mm-hmm. of vibe, which I like and respect. Excellent. Because so, great management. Great management. Yeah. Terrible father. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. So given all of this reasonable argument and after hearing King Gunway's concerns, Asriel agrees that yeah, okay. I mean, I value you more than I do her. So yeah, I'll just get someone to take her away. But just as he starts to call for someone to escort her out, Mrs. Coulter interrupts, pleading with them to listen to her first. And she makes quite a good point that she can help them with their magisterium strategy and they can't afford not to involve her as she can help them to predict their next move. And mm. again, potential, you know, if you're looking for breadcrumbs for is Asriel manipulating this whole situation throughout this chapter... He was the one who brought up the fact that, oh, given that the Galavestrians are with those people, we don't have any magisterium spies anymore. Okay, Uh-oh. let's move on to the next point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So she even gives them a clear reason why they can trust her not to betray them. The magisterium want to kill her daughter because of a prophecy from the witches, and she can't let that happen. So as soon as she's found that out... She's been setting herself against the church, against everything they stand for, and against the authority himself, if need be. Which is a pretty compelling argument. And you kind of do feel for her, and you kind of do side with her at this point. Mm -hmm. However, I was like, is this all true? And went searching Mm -hmm. back through what she actually did when she first found out about Lyra. Mm Mm-hmm. And although I think that's how she is now and how she's maybe like post-rationalized what she's been doing this whole time, mm-hmm. when she first finds out that Lyra is Eve, mother of all, and all that stuff from the witch, it's, she's completely on her own. I mean, Lord Boreal's there, but he's dead. So yeah. mm-hmm. she's completely on her own. It's just her and the demon, a spectre, and the witch that she's getting the spectre to kind of hold the demon of. Mm. And um, when Mrs. Coulter finds out that Lyra is Eve, Mrs. Coulter quote, breathes a great sigh as if the purpose of her life was clear to her at last. Dimly, the witch saw what she had done and through the horror that was enveloping her, she tried to cry out, what will you do to her? What will you do? Why, I shall have to destroy her, said Mrs. Coulter, to prevent another fall. Why didn't I see this before? It was too large to see. She clapped her hands together softly like a child, wide-eyed. Of course, Asriel will make war on the authority and then, of course, of course, as before, so again. And Lyra is Eve, and this time she will not fall. I'll see to that. There will be no fall. And there's no one else for her to say face in front of or lie to there. So I think at that point, Mm. that's when she's still very much in the religious zealotry phase of like, oh no, my daughter is Eve. I will have to destroy her, is what she says. Mm. But I think when she's in the cave with Lyra, she potentially changes her mind and can't bring herself to kill her or something. Mm -hmm. There's a switch in her mind. So what she's saying here is true at this point, but not true in its entirety, Throughout if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I know that was a bit of a long dissection, but I just think it's interesting to see Mrs. Coulter's character arc because she's one of those people who I find difficult to read at times. And who changes, yeah. And who changes, yeah. Anyway, she then pauses and refocuses on Lord Asriel, continuing her plea, and she tells of her shame and terrible regrets at being a bad mother, how she didn't think about Lyra, and then when the Magisterium started taking an interest in dust, and particular in children, she remembered her daughter... 
and wanted to save her from this threat. So begins her string of saving Lyra from Oxford, away from the dangers of the gobblers, then at Bolvanger, when she stopped her being intersized. And she's very raw and emotional about this, the very horror of that moment. And then thirdly, when she learned of the witch's prophecy, she took Lyra away again for a third time to save her. And I guess we don't really see exactly what happens when she first gets Lyra there, but mm-hmm. obviously now she's feeling very differently than when she first heard about what the prophecy was. Yeah. She explains here more specifically about the prophecy that Lyra will be a second Eve, and therefore how the Magisterium will obviously not allow Lyra to be tempted. And she says, if they could, they'd go back to the Garden of Eden and kill Eve before she was tempted. Killing is not difficult for them. Calvin himself ordered the deaths of children. They'd kill her with pomp and ceremonial and prayers and lamentations and psalms and hymns, but they would kill her. Mm. I just really like that Mm. Mm -hmm. quote. So there's quite a lot to unpack here. First of all, it was very moving (laughs) and interesting insight to Mrs. Coulter and her feelings about Lyra. It also kind of explains, I guess, at this point in time, why she did the things that she's been doing, like why she's took her from Oxford. Yeah, I suppose so. Because I mean, we didn't yeah, really I, know I, I, why I thought, that was at the time. Uh, yeah, maybe. But yeah, I think it's interesting to see all of this because it's difficult to read it without being on her side, basically. But there is always this darkness to Mrs. Coulter's character, yeah. um, embodied by the Golden Monkey, that it's quite difficult to overlook. And I really mm. like how complicated and open to interpretation she is mm. as a character. Mm. I happen to believe her now. And okay, interesting. This is relatively new as a perspective for me because I think I've seen her more as like 70% villain, 30% goody before. Mm-hmm. Um, she's definitely not one or the other. And I find it very difficult to forget the fucked up things she's done. Mm. So <laughs> um, the next section though. <sighs> so, right, there's a big section of text I'd like to read through because I think it's really interesting. Mm. And while it's sort of from Asriel's perspective... My reading is that this is also the narrator going, yeah, and this is actually... Basically, Azriel is right in his view here. So, yeah. she was shameless. She spoke quietly. She didn't declaim or raise her voice. And when a sob shook her, it was muffled almost into a hiccup, as if she was stifling her emotions for the sake of courtesy. Which made her barefaced lies all the more effective, Lord Azriel thought with disgust. She lied in the very marrow of her bones. She directed her words mainly at King Ogunway, without seeming to. And Lord Azriel saw that too. Not only was the king her chief accuser, he was also human, unlike the angel or Lord Roke, and she knew how to play on him. In fact, though, it was on the Galavespian that she made the greatest impression. Lord Roke sensed in her nature as close to that of a scorpion as he'd ever encountered, and he was well aware of the power in the sting that he could detect under her gentle tone. Better to keep scorpions where you could see them, he thought. Now... Super interesting. I... You could see that as Asriel just being pessimistic and judgmental and misreading Mrs. Coulter, and that she is being honest, and he's seeing in that lies and deceit and everything else, and that's his bad. I see mm-hmm. it more as, no, she is being deliberately manipulative, maybe leaning on some of the truth as a useful tool to generate some sincerity without yeah. all of it having to be an act. But I see it as a very competent and clever and effective manipulation, mm. but she isn't just open about how much you know she cares for Lyra and her personal journey of redemption. She's saying a lot of that stuff, true or otherwise, to an end. Yeah. And while it's badass and an amazing way to manipulate a bunch of people, I don't see this as like, oh yeah, Mrs. Coulter's being great. Yeah, it is really difficult to unpick because we definitely get 
different characters' opinions on what's happening. So Lord Asriel 100% thinks that she's lying. Yeah. Interestingly, another point, I think, where Mrs. Coulter's been most compelling as a goodie, if you like, mm. is when she was talking to Will in the cave. And he yes. had exactly the same outcome as Lord Asriel, where at the time he sort of felt himself liking her. And then he got back to Yorick Bernison and said, she's lying. Yeah. So there is something... And Yorick and... Oh, Balthamos, yeah. Balthamos. Bo- both kind of chastise him for um, basically falling for her tricks. Yeah. And I think the fact that you're getting lots of different characters that we sort of know we should trust or at least respect their mm. opinion, mm. like Lord Roke, mm. he's not a fool. I think there's a degree that she is just being a very good manipulator. Yeah. That's not that's not to say that therefore she's a shit and useless character. Yeah. But I don't see this as some kind of, However, isn't she though, a good person? I think obviously you'd focus on, even if she doesn't have any ulterior motives, you'd obviously focus on King of Gunway because he's the most similar to her. You're not going to talk to an angel like this because you'd be like, you're a fucking angel, that's weird, I don't know how to yeah, talk but, to you. Lord Rogue yeah. obviously hates her and it's already threatened yeah. to like th- torture her and just generally would be quite difficult yeah. to talk to as well. As real she knows and mm-hmm. she doesn't want to be obviously speaking to him. So King of Gunway is the obvious person to direct towards, so she might be doing that. Naturally, mm. with no ulterior motive. However, so. you'd speak to the however, entire room if you really wanted the entire room to hear. However, mm. I love that we get this little sprinkling of the narrator gives you other people's thoughts on what's happening. Yeah. Not King of Gunways or Zafanias, actually, yes. interestingly, yeah. who yeah. would be very interesting to know, yeah. Zafania yeah. in particular. But then, right at the end, we get Mrs. Coulter is allowed to stay as King mm. of Gunway and Lord Rogue agrees she should. But Lord Asriel so, is now so, annoyed. I'm going to keep batting in all the time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> in a not annoying way at all. So Lord Rogue wants to keep her close because he because sees he her as a threat. Yeah. I think Ogunway has changed his mind basically because yes. he's fallen for her tricks, as yes. I read it. I think so. Okay. And Asriel is now annoyed because he actually wants her elsewhere. Because he's seen through the duplicity yes. as he sees it and is like, oh, fuck, yeah, no, she should go away because she's actually just trying to... And Zafania abstains? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. I guess. Yeah. And then... At the very end of this, Mrs. Coulter turns to Asriel and we get this lovely line. Mm. He was certain that no one else could see the glitter of sly triumph in the depths of her beautiful eyes. Yes. Well, because she looks at him with an expression of mild and virtuous concern. And you can see a Lyra-esque element here of, you know, like batting her eyes at the scholars, for example, where she doesn't want to do something or she wants them to do something. Yeah. But then underneath it, if you're perceptive enough, you can see that... Yeah. Oh, this kid just wants to get out of school yeah. early, or in Coulter's case, haha, I win. Yeah. But I mean, she she could still have that slight triumph just because she got her, her way. She got to stay. She won. Do you know what I mean? That could just be like, yes. yeah, I won, I got to stay, ha 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 ha. It couldn't, it's not necessarily like she was lying the whole time. Maybe. I so think it's, I think it's over generous still, there. I, I think it's a super grey area. And if really? you're listening to this and you're reading this for the first time, or you've changed your impression of this particular moment, let us know because mm. I think this is fascinating and almost every time I read this depending on my mood on that day I have a different interpretation of what's going on but just quickly then so that last bit he was certain that no one else could see the glitter of sly triumph in the depths of her beautiful eyes if you're now reading this situation more in Coulter's favour do you just think Asriel is wrong and he's being overly like suspicious yeah. and unfair to her yeah okay hmm that's definitely a way you can read well, it I am never going to read it like that because Asriel is but perfect but in, in my notes I was like she was lying. What the fuck, Mrs. Coulter? Yeah. So I think it's very easy to interpret it either mm. way. That's okay. why they're such good characters. Yes. 
Anyway, okay. Well, they move on, and so will we. <laughs> so will um, we. <laughs> uh, to speaking of garrisons, the church's yeah. defences, and various other military plans, and Azrael's basically like, come on, right, that's Angelic that dispositions. Yes. Coulter listens, impressed at the accuracy of their knowledge about the Magisterium, but also realises that it will soon be out of date, mm. and an idea occurs to her, but we, we don't hear anything more of it right now. The group move on to discussing the armory, and Azrael says that he wants to go down and test uh, the intention craft. Mm, chapter title which reference. Is interesting. Now, let's jump into this now, even though it's not where it is in my notes. That was a potential name for this podcast. It was. The intention cast. The intention cast. I still yeah. quite like. It is quite a good name. Yeah. If we say so ourselves. If you're thinking about starting a His Dark Materials podcast out there, yeah. there you go. There's the intention a freebie. Cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyway, there you go. So Azrael unlocks the golden monkey, I guess because it was chained to a wall, or I don't know. No, no, it was, um, it was chained up on her lap, so you can't you can't really move around. If yeah, just carry got it. His limbs chained up. Nah, I just don't trust it. Nah. We'll put it in a bag, um, <laughs> uh, and they all leave, heading down st- uh, spiral stairs to the armory, and mm. it's a fairly long walk. So Coulter speaks to Zephania as they as they descend these steps who confirms that she was one of the original rebel angels. So good! Um, so that's like... So good! 33,000 years ago, original War on Heaven. She's like OG angel. You know in the Star Wars films where you go to the Rebel Alliance base and yeah. then you're used to all the like young, scrappy Rebel Alliance fighters yeah. and then you go to like the, the Rebel Council people yeah. and you're like, oh, you've been doing this for decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's those guys. It's those guys. It's those guys. Yeah. Now, I couldn't find anything in the internet, because whenever you type in Zephania, it's just his Dark Materials. Oh, yeah. What is the origin of that name? I I couldn't honestly find anything, which I think is my lazy research, but the second you type in Zephania, and especially right now, it's always like, who's been cast for the new series? And blah, blah, blah. Like, I just didn't really get anywhere with it. Mm. But I think she is potentially, despite the conflicts with Asriel actually being in this role, but basically Lucifer. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that's good. Because I, I think I think she's supposed to be the angel that rebelled against God, not just an angel. Um, she was like the leader of that first rebellion. Because Lucifer's so, not in it. No. Um, so I think that's, that's good. I like. I that. think that's what who Zephania is supposed to be. Although Azrael is also Lucifer in the whole. He's yeah. the new rebel, but you know yeah. she could be original Lucifer and Azrael's Lucifer two point oh. So there you go. Lucy, we'll call her now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lucy of the Fur. Um, <laughs> so she's pledged herself to Azrael's cause as uh, she believes it's the most likely to succeed in overthrowing the, the tyranny. tyranny. Yeah. So uh, good. At last. So big backing for Azrael. Yeah. You know? She's um, also described as older than any living creature Mrs. Coulter had ever seen. Yes. Uh, cool. With lined face, which I thought angels didn't age. So I don't know if she is an no, old woman. But she's woman. so old though. But is she an old woman? Or she's is she... so old that she's well got a lined face. That's how old. That's how old. Um, yeah, anyway, so that's kind of all we get. It's like, oh, wow, you're a super old angel. You're the original rebel. And uh, Azrael was yeah. super great. As I said, not a barrel of laughs. Yep. She's not She's not on board the banter bus. No, that's true. And moving on from the banter bus, Zavalia <laughs> goes away to speak with Azrael as they approach a uh, massive deep stairwell that goes down and down into the sort of bowels of the mountain mm-hmm. um, and ultimately into the dark of what is the armory. <laughs> Can I just say, by the way, Sorry. I love that your notes didn't include any of the character intricacies and who said what when and who, nah. who did what why. Don't My go. notes don't include any of the architecture of where they're going. 
<laughs> Not conforming to any gender stereotypes. Um, Coulter then moves on to speaking with King Ogunwe, ask, asking him... So polite. Yeah. Asking more about the Galavespians and how to avoid, best avoid, offending Lord Roke. Mm. I see all of that as manipulation again, and it's like, uh, she doesn't really... Well, she may want to avoid offending Lord Roke, but she's asking this as a way of being like, here's an innocuous question that you can now engage with me on, and mm-hmm. she's playing him again, is my reading. Oh, she's just being a human. Nope. He says that she is right to ask, because the Galavespians are a proud people, uh, and they come from a world with humans, like mm. full-sized humans, who serve the authority and have been trying to wipe out the Galavespians, or as they call them, the little people, um, probably from circa 33,000 years ago. Um, and yeah, the Galavespians who don't serve the authority, and you've basically got uh, two warring factions in the Galavespians' homeworld, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is cool and interesting, and it's another example of there be churches, yeah, and in their case, there's bad humans and good Galavespians, which is... Yeah, fair enough. Mm. So the Galavespians, broadly speaking, there are some that are on the side of the church, but the vast majority are effectively on Azrael's side. Which is great, because they are badass. Yes. Um, also, why don't they have more spies then? I don't know. Why are there only two? Can they not dispatch any more? Or maybe more? there no. are more in like other worlds. Because yeah. it's very like, you know, Lord Azrael's and Lyra's world yep. focus, isn't it? They're, yep. the mo- they're the only magisterium that matter. Yes. Yeah, got to keep it simple. Um, yes, yeah, that's it. But, yeah. So she then goes on to ask Agunway about the angels. And uh, he basically says that they are harder to understand than any human being. Um, there are many different types, some with more powers than others. Mm-hmm. And there's deep alliances among them that go back, you know, to ancient times that humans know little about and probably couldn't understand. Again, this impression that they are very complex beings made of dark matter that are tens of thousands of years old. Mm. Sure. Uh, you're not going to potentially unpickle that even in a human lifetime. But also, can I just point out, before he says that, he's like, these are exactly the kind of questions a spy would ask and gives her, like, massive yeah. side eye. Yeah. And she's like, I'm not a spy, I'm way too obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he uh, just the tells triple, her anyway, which is bluff. really funny. Yeah. <laughs> but then he goes on to say that the authority, or the tyranny, has been suppressing the angels since he came into being. What? And I love this bit because, again, maybe maybe these are the little hints where I kind of feel like, unless stated otherwise, Coulter is being duplicitous. Because here we get, she stopped. She was genuinely shocked. The African king halted beside her, thinking she was unwell, and indeed the light of the flaring sconce above her did throw ghastly shadows over her face. So here, like, when he says that the authority came into being, this is what shocks her, because she, yeah. up until now, bedrock assumption, default bit of her philosophy of the world, is that God has always been, there is no creator of the creator, mm. and so on mm. and so on. So, uh, King Gunway's line here basically shakes her foundations. And, and when, it's, it's such a throwaway line for him, he's yes. very acclimatised to it. Yeah, but when the narrator says of Coulter, she was genuinely shocked... That does make me nah. think basically the rest of the time she's in control of everything. Nah, so, it's, just, anyway. it's just a way of being yeah. like, nah. you know, nah. more of... No, because I, I would say you were genu- genuinely shocked. It didn't mean any other shock that you had would not be No, but I think shocked. in Coulter's case, no, nope. yeah. yeah. No. Nope. Um, I think they need to state that nope. because otherwise she's like, she nope. pretended to be shocked so that a good way could like grab her arm and then she could fall on him and be no. like, oh gosh, that's no, just so up. dainty. So, you're um, so disgusting of her. <laughs> yes. Uh... 
but yeah, she she's she's surprised by this. And Agunway agrees that for the first time he heard it, or many people uh, that are kind of familiar with the church's teachings, that it's shocking, but true. And he calls it angelic knowledge. And he, he does go on. This is a kind of interesting like bit of meta-philosophy in this mm. trilogy, that he says, there may have been a true creator, or maybe not. But basically, the angel that calls himself God is just another angel that set mm. himself up as kingpin Mm. so i quite like in a way that pullman leaves uh, in this trilogy it opened to the idea that well there might be an actual god yeah but the god of the church and all of the rules and blah 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 is bullshit yeah yeah it is it is open to interpretation isn't it and And i I think that's yeah and i I guess that even from asriel's perspective Mm -hmm. there might be a god but it isn't the god yeah capital g yeah. Which I think is kind of cool and interesting. Hmm. But they then continue uh, with their metaphysical chit-chat, where uh, Agunway basically explains that Azrael's forces have come into this world, the world they're in, because it was empty. They intend to build, not invade. Um, they are not colonialists um, trying to actively wage a war themselves mm-hmm. on God. Mm-hmm. Um, they've come here, as he describes it, to build a republic of heaven unlike the kingdom of heaven set up by the authority. Awesome. So... So good. It is Star Wars. Admirable cause there. Yeah, rebels versus empire. It's all there. Um, For now, though, he's king of Gunway. For now, he's king of Gunway. But he (laughs) says, even as a king, his greatest honour has been to serve Asriel to this end in setting up a world in which there are no kings, no kingdoms or anything. Um, There is just this republic, utopia... Uh, oh man, how are they going to adjust to not being treated specially though? Yeah. Lord Asriel's not going to adjust to that shit, is he? Oh, he's such King an Augustus. King not going to adjust. First among equals, Amy. King of Gunway Senate, might adjust. Rome, Lord Rome. Asriel won't though. Love it. No. <laughs> um, they continue descending and eventually arrive in a massive hall lit by crystals um, and eventually move sort of through this off into a, a sort of platform um, for a train that will take them onto the armory. This is all very cool, but uh, like, like impractically huge. Yeah, and just al- <laughs> make it less less huge. And or more trains, you know. Oh, more trains. Have a train from the office. Better transport. Yep. Options. Um, I love that all this stuff. It makes no sense, but um, why is the armory so far away? Magic. What? What uh, if the authority came now and it was like, we're attacking? Okay, <laughs> okay give, give us, us half an three hour. hours. The train's running late. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they are bored, and it's an electric train. Good, good for climate change. Yeah, uh, and yes, actually, like head off into the armory deeper under the mountain. So, just a small detail. I think we mentioned about the maybe we mentioned about glowing crystals that are lighting parts of the area that they're going through. So, mm. some of them it's just scattered around the floor, and sometimes they're mounted in a nice mirror-backed bracket, which I mm-hmm. think is just a very nice little detail. Sounds mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, on the train, uh, to complete the set of mingling with the commanders, Mrs. Coulter talks to Lord Roke, and it's easily the most pointless and fruitless conversation that she has, <laughs> yeah. because she asks some odd question about if his spies always go about in pairs, explaining that she was intrigued to see how well his two fought together, and obviously Lord Roke finds every opportunity to be offended in the conversation, so it ends in haughty awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Um, after an epic adventure, they finally reach the armory, though, and the air is hot, noisy, and sulfurous, which is mm. a great combination. It sounds like a lovely place, and I understand now why it's so far from anywhere else. Mm, yeah, true, true. <laughs> it's just like, keep that at arm's length, yeah. for sure. Obviously, because this is all designed to impress, Mrs. Coulter is impressed mm. by how massive 
complex and advanced the forges are here. We get this image of hammers the size of houses pounding out metal, the mountain trembling with activity as molten metal flows into moulds. There's slicing, rolling and folding machines working feverishly, and generally loads of cool stuff happening, basically. Yeah. Uh, we get from the narrator here that if Yorick Bernison could have seen this armory, he might have admitted that these people knew something about working with metal. And that is... <laughs> high praise. High praise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> high, high, high praise. So they walk on through the clamour, eventually coming out of some tunnels into an open plateau or shelf hacked out of the mountainside. Oh, just quickly before we move on... Is it uh, going to be about the tunnels? No, no, no. Okay. I, I looked at. Uh, <laughs> I looked like inside modern steel mills. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and they're cool, and there's big machines and metal metal. That that was your point. I will share a video. <laughs> that is, well, there's just no point in describing, but like, okay, there's a cool video. Uh, yeah, the way that there are these massive buckets full of uh, liquid metal and these huge like ribbons of steel that's I don't know four inches thick, ten mm-hmm. inches thick. I don't know. Um, just kind of rolling around, being bent, being like, actually rolled up into That's almost cool. like toilet rolls. Yeah. But of steel, the weigh 22 tons each. That's so cool. And then just moved about the place. It's, it's kind of badass. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I've never thought of. You know, how does the steel for a ship yeah, get made? Yeah, get pressed and made um, and rolled and transported. and Yeah. yeah. That's and cool. big is the answer. Big. Is big. that how they get made? They big. get made big. Bigness. <laughs> Um, there was some crazy number as well. I can't remember, won't quote it. But where they use uh, effectively like arc welding to melt the steel. Oh. So I don't know what the hell the electrodes are made of that mm. can carry the current and then allow the steel to get up to 2000 degrees or whatever it melts at mm. without itself melting. But there was some gargantuan amount of one energy needed. And then I'm sure the thing said, that's why our energy bills are $10 million a month. And it's like, okay, because they just basically use an entire power station's worth of output. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Really cool. Wow. Mm -hmm. It makes an insane noise as well. Like when these things turn on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's That's pretty cool. Cute. We will send out a link to that video. And I'm also yes. going to watch that video because it sounds great. It is cool. So they kind of exit that whole area and then finally get out into this big shelf on the side mm. of the mountain, which has been hacked out, it seems. There's some kind of machine here under our tarpaulin, which is then dramatically revealed, I assume, with a flourish. Mm. Um, and Mrs. Coulter is obviously intrigued and asks what it is, what it does, how it works. <laughs> but all King Gunway will tell her is that it is called the Intention Craft. Yes. And side note, this is what Ian likes to call self-driving cars, which I think is a pretty good name. Oh, yeah. Right. No, 100%. If, yes. I, if in my quest to be that guy, uh, I ever own a Tesla... <sighs> It if will be called the Intention, the intention Craft. Craft. I mean, as a self-driving machine, the Intention Craft is pretty cool. It's a, it's a great, great name. It's a great yeah. name. And I'm patenting it here. If anyone else calls their Tesla <laughs> the Intention Craft, well, copies. So um, Mrs. Coulter stares at this thing in the gloom of the night, trying to take in every detail, and we get a confusing description, which I'm going to read... So, this is a description. It looked like some kind of complex drilling apparatus, or the cockpit of a gyropter, or the cabin of a massive crane. It had a glass canopy over a seat, with at least a dozen levers and handles banked in front of it. It stood on six legs, 
each jointed and sprung at a different angle to the body, so that it seemed both energetic and ungainly, and the body itself was a mass of pipework, cylinders, pistons, coiled cables, switch gear, and valves and gauges. Hmm. So, I mean, that doesn't really tell us what it looks like. It yeah. kind of gives you a general sense of it, but not necessarily a good idea. Mm-hmm. And in my head, it's basically a very open, small helicopter pit with legs underneath. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. i got steampunk insect. Yeah. It's like what I've got. Okay. Now, you asked me to draw it. Do you I want did. me to show you here? Yes. Now, I like... want to see your drawing. Tell you what, should we reveal our drawings to each other at so, the same time? Yeah, but just quickly. So, mine... And we'll we'll post these maybe. Oh yeah, we depending definitely. how embarrassed I am of mine. Um, <laughs> you haven't seen mine yet. Uh, mine isn't even really that accurate of how I think of it because I didn't quite know. Yeah. I'm not very good at drawing. How to draw a bunch of I don't know uh, pumps and you know like steam trains have those rotating right. piston yeah, things yeah, yeah, at the yeah. wheels and little like pressure release valves and all that kind of shit. So I just drew it as a bunch of overlapping riveted sheet metal, but I would basically sprinkle over that a ton of Tesla coils and random steampunky stuff for unknown purposes. But there's mine. Oh, okay, got, this is like, super interesting and different to mine. Let me describe mine. <laughs> so you've basically got like the cabin of a helicopter at the front. Yeah. You can see I've drawn a little man in the front. Oh yeah, you have drawn uh, a little person. Which is basically like the front of what might be best thought of as like a, a military helicopter. Yeah. So not too round, bit pointed, mostly glass at the front. And then I've done a nose cone on it just for, you know, the bands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, literally legs. six pointy legs six that pointy end in legs. spikes. Points, yeah. Um, and then the back, or what I read in this as, like, the body of the machine. That's interesting. Basically sits behind the pilot, and that's the massive random shit. Very different to what I've drawn. Oh, uh, yeah. I did not give it a body at all. Okay. I literally did, like... I've, I've, like, I've oh, labelled yeah. it. I've labelled it here. So that there's the seat. Can you describe it so the podcast... Uh, no, it's fine, it's fine. There's a seat in the middle... And then it's got kind of like a big glass canopy over the top, a bit like a very, if you picture a very minimal helicopter. Yeah, it's a like a minimalist bubble helicopter. A bubble like, helicopter. Like, like, like in Australia that they used to herd camels. There's a, that is a, there's a reference a everyone reference. will understand. Everyone will understand that one in. Yeah. Um, and then I've done all the levers in the front. Yeah, yeah, good levers. Yeah. There's levers. And then there's a central pillar. Which is where all the doobrew dobs of intention crafting goes yeah. on. There's a little helmet there, but you can't really see it. And then it's got six legs, yeah. three pairs, each different. What's the big arm coming out of the back there, like trombone? That's a big, a big, a big strong leg for doing big jumpy things. Okay. Then you've got a, a dexterous leg in the middle, yeah. which is articulated in more places and have soft robotic fingers on the end. Because okay. I got, I got Pretty, into like. Yeah. You know, well, you need something that could be dexterous, right? Sure. So that one's got like soft robotics so okay. that it can like pick up things if it wanted to like, if it really needed to pick up an egg delicately, then it right, could. Right, right, right. Um, and then the front ones are kind of just like standard humanoid robotic, robotic legs yeah. just for general stuff. Cool. Yeah. Um, they look very different, but yours, actually, I found some fan art. Yours looks the most like other fan arts. I should say as well, the head on mine would be articulate from the body. It should have more of a neck and like slightly more ability to move the head. So this was one picture. Yeah, okay, that's we'll, much we'll, more. We'll link, yeah, we'll link to just... these. So this is a version from Deviant Art by James Margarum. Marjoram? 
don't know if that's right. And then there's also a fan art one on Bridge to the Stars, which looks like that, which is oh, kind okay. of similar. They've both yeah, gone yeah. for like basically a body. Yes. If you picture what's the... They both look a little bit Thunderbirdsy, actually. Yeah, yeah. The actual body of it looks a bit Thunderbirdsy, and then it's got a bubble dome on the mm-hmm. top where and the driver sits. Mosquito-like. And then legs. mosquito-like legs. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Which is interesting. I really like the mess of levers in front of it. In my head, yeah. that's the pit, the bit that I always picture the most clearly. Yes, is like the cabin. all these fucking levers mm. that make no sense. And in my head, I actually think of. Um, the idea is our sketch about trams in San yes. Francisco and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. there's so many levers in front None all of them, them do doing anything. fuck all yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah I, I like the mess of levers yeah, um, so yeah. we will post our pictures and you can go what on earth are you talking about it obviously doesn't look like that it looks like mm-hmm. this yeah. um, and also the fan art which I think is very good obviously the fan art is so better much better than ours than our drawings yeah, yeah interesting mm. I'm intrigued that how different ours is I think it's more my interpretation is an outlier to everyone else's I think the variant might be like what percentage of the body of it as opposed to the legs do you think is the glass cabin yeah I definitely interpreted it more as there is a body to which is affixed a glass cabin cockpit for the pilots in yeah so it goes without saying, but I cannot wait to see what they do with this in the TV yeah, series because yeah. we have not seen an adaptation of this craft yet and nope, it, it is just going to be so good. Mm. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anywho. Everyone else is quite preoccupied and busy checking out the craft, discussing with engineers, uh, which is a story I would love to know. Who built this? Are, mm-hmm. are they engineers from different worlds? How did they collaborate and come up with the idea? Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Get the impression that this is a very new technology everywhere? I think so. I think uh, it's supposed to be kind of unique across yeah. worlds. So it yeah. doesn't seem like any one world has developed this and then are just like, yeah, we have these all, no. all the time. Hmm. Um, Lord Asriel and his demon actually get into the craft and everyone else backs away and Mrs. Coulter watches to see what's going to happen next. And it moves or quivers in some way that Mrs. Coulter can't really catch with her eyes, I guess. But then she does notice that various parts of it are turning, revolving, and scanning the sky as Asriel kind of adjusts levers and checks instruments. Um, it's interesting that he's been trusted to pilot this. Either this means that he's had some prior training or eh, you can't really bad. fuck it up. Eh, Do you know what I mean? He's the best. He um, does everything best. <laughs> uh, or maybe it's not the first test also. Also that. Then, amazingly, without a sound at all or any indication of what is about to happen, the craft just appears to vanish completely uh, but actually what's happened is it's leapt up into the air high above them and then it just hangs there with no apparent thing happening to keep it aloft which is so mm. cool yeah. and the noiselessness is this kind of like creepy yes. effectiveness of it and i think that's where the insectoid it's not just the, yeah. the fact that it's got six legs and stuff that jumping is a bit like a cricket or yeah well insects that move move fast um, i have to beetles. say I bet you'd get really, really sick in this. <laughs> well, if it literally like, moves sick. instantaneously, you'd if probably die. If it moves die. too quickly for you. you to notice that yeah. it's moved and with no noise to yeah. prepare you for what's going to happen, yeah. you'd, you'd definitely get really travel sick. Just like a Tesla acceleration. Just like any electric vehicle, yeah, where yeah. you don't have the feedback of what your brain's expecting to happen. No engine noises or anything. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Then suddenly again... Perhaps at some subtle signal, maybe the lights nearby are put out and people stop talking and King of Gunway tells Mrs. Coulter to listen carefully. And when she does, she can just about hear the sound of gyropters in the distance. And King of Gunway explains to her that those gyropters are one of his raiding parties and they're trying to draw out the enemy into fighting with them as a decoy, Mm. which is quite an elaborate setup. 
Um, yeah. And they're clearly planning to test something here, and they've clearly only just arrived at exactly the right time, which is a bit like um, good coincidence. <laughs> where was yeah, the margin I, for I feel error? like they need to, given that they can develop this intention craft machine, yeah. they need to develop targets. Yeah, <laughs> you know that would be better, right? <laughs> yeah, they must have done some um, pre-testing. This but, isn't the first. Thing. But in any case, so they they've got um, a raiding party basically chasing mm. what is a, a decoy. A battalion of King of Gunaways that looks like it's in distress but isn't really, I suppose. So the raiding party is made up of a heavy gyropter of a strange kind. Yeah. Cool. Don't um, know what that means, but a it's strange. <laughs> two winged straight aircraft. Uh, sorry. Two. A two straight winged aircraft. Why are you saying winged? Like a... It's winged, Amy. <laughs> You've been reading too much Milton. <laughs> is that just a, an aeroplane? Uh, yeah. Because that would be flying way faster than the helicopter. Anywho, it's just an, it's just um, an airplane, but Mrs. Coulter hasn't seen one before, so she's one like, great bird that glided with effortless speed, carrying cool. two armed riders cool. and three or four angels. Now, while this mixture of flying assailants is cool and interesting, and uh, I guess go with the authorities' forces for having a good mix of weapons themselves. Rebel coalition of evil, yeah. Yes, and like that's obviously a mix of worlds because mm-hmm. you've got the bird with its two mm-hmm. riders, which is cool. It's like mega Galavespians. Yeah. Could be dope. Maybe the bird oh, breathes yeah. fire. You know? I don't yeah. know. Uh, but it does make no sense that like an aeroplane would travel way faster <laughs> than a bird. Uh, they wouldn't be flying along Depends together. on the aeroplane. I suppose so. It's it could not be... a jet fighter necessarily. No. It could be a straight winged aircraft with a propeller. Yeah. Or... Could be a little... Blimp. Prop plane. That's just got straight wings. Yeah. We don't know. But anywho, the enemy gyropter then shoots something at uh, the embattled um, craft in King Gunway's Force. But before the projectile even makes contact, the intention craft kind of flashes and the shell explodes in midair. So cool. Yes. So then a kind of battle, in inverted commas, starts in earnest. But it's basically just the intention craft flashing at each of the raiding party in turn. And the aircraft explodes, the bird dies and falls to the ground. The angels burst into drifts of glowing air. What? So, so this... they can kill angels? Well, I feel like angels are vulnerable in general. I mean, if the authority is an angel, why do they need this little knife? If they can just atten- intention craft it. Huh. <laughs> Hmm, touche. <laughs> touche. It is a bit I, weird, isn't I, it? I kind of assumed with the like whole Metatron attacking Will and Balthamos and Baruch getting mm. scared and mm. and you know, like the um when Balthamos tries to intervene yeah. with Will in the fight from the cave and he yeah. sort of flinches from the demons. I've just kind of assumed that angels can fight but are a bit mm, crap. And I guess we saw Baruch die. Yes. yes. From or being from being attacked, way, from being attacked, well. but from being attacked by other angels. Yeah, that's true. Good point about the authority, though. Different type of angel, different breed of angel, invulnerable to all things. Anyway, <laughs> except maybe a knife of subtlety. Uh, but the, uh, I guess everyone, but particularly this is from Coulter's perspective, mm. is kind of shocked by just how destructive the intention craft is. You know, the, yeah. this raiding party is so completely obliterated. Um, that even Mrs. Coulter, with all the war machines she's seen in the past, is kind of like, holy shit. Yeah. This thing is badass. It's terrifyingly efficient. Yes, exactly. I'm, uh, it's, a, it's a bad analogy because no civilians were harmed. Hmm. But 
I did note that it's a bit like if the Rebel Alliance were testing the Death Star rather than Darth Vader. <laughs> it's a bit like, holy fuck, <laughs> right. that's a game changer. Yeah, it's yeah. that sort of yeah. moment. Yeah. But obviously they didn't blow up a planet and kill mm-hmm. the people who weren't involved mm-hmm. in it. So yeah. Yep, anyway. yep, yep. The intention craft then lands and Mrs. Coulter kind of hangs back a little bit. Yeah. Both her and her team are kind of, kind of wondering why Azrael is showing them all of this. And she even thinks, uh, you know, could he have read their mind? back in the Adamant Tower where they have that flash of recognition between each other. Mm-hmm. And effectively what they thought you know, back then, but it's kind of been obvious throughout this chapter, was that they could offer Azrael their services uh, as a spy in the Magisterium. Yeah. Now the Galavespians are busy with Will and Lyra. Um, You've missed out an so, important part yeah. of that whole thing. What's that? The monkey speaks. Well, the monkey speaks, but the monkey doesn't... Do we hear what the monkey says? Yeah. Oh. The monkey... Actual ha- actually has a speech mm. in speech marks, Ooh. and he says to Mrs. Coulter, "Why is he showing it to us?" Oh yeah, uh, you first. seem amazed by that. I'm maybe over it. <laughs> I weirdly, I just weirdly have this feeling like he probably doesn't speak anywhere else in the books, but we know that's not because he can't speak. It's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Hasn't it's written just the super rare. Yeah, mm. I just think it's interesting. Yes, and I don't know how the TV program are going to do that then. The monkey hasn't spoken so far no. in that, have they? No. Hmm. Anywho. Um, but with uh, Mrs. Coulter having seen exactly what the intention craft can do, though, she now has another idea entirely and kind of hugs the monkey to herself with a kind of glee. She's so at, excited at this, about this idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really nice. Um, and she then calls to Azrael, asking to see the intention craft close up and ask like, how it works and everything mm. else. And apparently... <laughs> He's so happy with its performance, <laughs> he just wants to show it off. Um, I did forget that Azriel was like a 15-year-old boy. Um, <laughs> this, this this bit is so like, that wouldn't, is, that wouldn't work. It is very much like that, yeah. Um, or at least in this game of Azriel manipulates Coulter, Coulter realises and then behaves accordingly, but she doesn't quite realise that he's manipulating her, but then he realises she's manipulating him, you know. Which is why it's chess. a bit like, what, what game is he really yeah. playing? Like, I think Coulter would see through this. She goes, oh, can I see it? And he goes, yeah, sure. She would probably be like, wait, why are you letting me? I think she would realise. But I don't, I don't, I don't think anyway. she minds being played. No, yeah. no. Because the monkey yes. is suspicious. The monkey's like, why is he showing That's it to us? That's true. That's true. So maybe she's she like, just, yeah. I think he knows. He yeah. knows what we're mm. going to do. Okay. We know what we're going to do. Let's fucking do maybe. it. Maybe. <laughs> um, and yes, to that end, she jumps up into the craft and starts asking how it works. Uh, and Azrael gives, uh, obviously, not... Uh, here's the science behind it but just a, a general overview that <laughs> yeah. it's basically powered by your intentions so if you intend the craft to go forward it will go forward if you intend it to go back up etc it will do so and, and presumably if you intend it to explode an angel it will do It'll that just do that yeah which is awesomely cool yeah very cool um so he also shows her that the way that you i guess express your intentions mm-hmm. or that the machine knows what the fuck you're intending um is through this cable that has a leather grip on the end that your demon has to hold yeah either in its teeth or by gripping it and the yeah a human wears a helmet that is connected to the machine the demon grips this cable that is also connected to the machine and that combination of things is what allows you to communicate your intentions to the intention craft yeah Mm. and this is similar to technology that's being developed in very very early stages in our world as well so there was a load of stuff happening in about 2017 around this and then it's kind of all gone a bit quiet because i think it's more complicated um than 
initially it seemed but this is something called a brain machine interface or brain computer interface they have been in development people have been doing things like moving robotic arms to pick Mm. up objects to to do things like that with just an interface between the human brain and the machine it's very very early days and quite fraught with a lot of problems though but we'll link to an article about the kind of development of that yeah obviously super 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 exciting if it can happen and also philosophically very interesting like if i had a robotic arm that strangled you and then i was like oh no it was a bug i didn't mean to strangle you how do you prove mm. that <laughs> no no robotic arms for amy yeah <laughs> uh, okay um and in an equally kind of psychotic way yeah, <laughs> see, yeah, smoothly bringing it back yeah. uh mrs coulter then simply says to Azriel, i see and kicks him out of the cockpit. So good. Um, I think physically, right? Like booting him <laughs> yeah, from, yeah, from the vehicle. And absolutely. He, yeah, he falls to the ground. This is so funny. And uh, she then kind of like successfully gets it to move a little bit and then has a bit of a false start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She so stalls hilarious. the car. It's so hilarious because yeah. it's like, oh, so really nearly badass. And it is still yeah. very, very badass. Yeah. yeah. But it's just very funny if she'd like absolutely failed to move it or something. And yes. just quite... Quite, yeah, just sat there awkwardly like, uh... <laughs> So during this short pause while she's working out how to get the craft to move forward again, Asriel springs into action, but not necessarily in the way you'd expect. With a quick gesture, mm-hmm. he stops King Gunway from attacking or trying to stop her from leaving, which he and his troops are ready to do, and then asks Lord Roke to sneak on board and follow her, which he does. And it's apparent that Mrs. Coulter doesn't notice the Galvaspian sneaking into the cockpit with them, leaping dramatically from his hawk mid-flight like a badass, should I point mm-hmm. out. And then she just disappears into the night. It's so good. It yep. is so, so good. Um, Asriel and King Gunway watch her go, and Asriel is clearly impressed. He tells King Gunway he was right to be wary of her, but seems pretty certain that he has the measure of what she'll do. He reckons that she'll go straight to the CCD, offer the craft as a gift and a gesture of her faithfulness, and then she'll spy for Lord Asriel. And can I say as well, she seems weirdly confident that she'll just be able to waltz in there and be like, hey everyone, I'm back, yeah. don't worry, I'm totally on your side and haven't always been the whole time. <laughs> that liar in a cave thing? Don't worry don't about worry that. About it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand how she's so confident. Nope. I guess she must know that she's covered her tracks sufficiently. Or she's just good enough at manipulating people and you know, sweet-talking That's and persuading. That's backing herself a lot, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we'll see how well she actually does, but at this point, she's pretty confident it's going to mm. work. Because uh, this is actually quite, pretty close. What Azrael is suspecting is actually pretty close to what Mrs. Coulter will actually do. He's certain that she won't go to Lyra because she doesn't know where she is. As soon as she learns Lyra's location from the CCD, then Lord Azrael and co. can follow Mrs. Coulter to Lyra. And it's weird to understand what Asriel is feeling about Mrs. Coulter here, because there's a bit of ambiguity in the text. He makes some comments that could be considered very rude, but you could also interpret as admiringly jokey or good-humoured. It's a bit of a weird one. Mm. So, for example, when King Gunboy says they should like track her down, he says, and destroy a perfectly good aircraft. And they sort of laugh together at the surprise that she'll get when Lord Roke appears. It's all a bit like weird... Um, if it was anyone else, it might be cruel, but he also says that Mrs. Coulter as a spy would be novel in its duplicity, hmm. that she's similar to Lyra and stuff. So in general, I side on the pro-Azriel side here that he's not just being a total dick about her, but yeah, it's a bit unclear. So capable, though. Again, mm. in Ian's, uh, I get an opportunity to just... Dis- it's, his capability isn't in question. It's, it's fucking unbelievable. His capability is not in so, question. So all the way back to the Adamant Tower, this is basically his plan. 
Because when they go yeah. off at the very end of this chapter to inspect a more up-to-date version more of the intention craft, intention craft, he was this one was clearly expendable. So yeah. I read this entire thing as it was all anticipated. It was all well. anticipated that she would steal it and oh, go to the too. CCD. Me too. And, and then Azriel is an absolute badass. Also, it's Mrs. Coulter, but also no, she's just his pawn <laughs> at this point. He's like the puppet master, but and I while think, she's a I great think, puppet, I think she knows she's being a pawn. Though that's the whole thing yeah. where the monkey's like. Why is he showing That's it to us? That's very true. She knows. Yes. She's no she's less capable. Kind of, and she's like... he is a fucking bad man. Well, joke's on you, Asriel. This is what I want to do anyway. Yeah, but he's like, yeah, but I want you to do that. So joke's on you. <laughs> and then she's like, no, but joke's on you. And he's They're like, just no, working but really, together, the but also you. really. Yeah. And, then, and then they kiss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I do wonder as well if this long and possibly pointless walk through the fortress was part of his whole plan, because it was kind of weird, but it does also mm. give her just enough information about who they are, what they're doing, mm. what capabilities they have, but nothing potentially dangerous or yes. problematic. Mm. Like, mm. she doesn't know that they're after the knife. Oh, no, she does know they're after the knife. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, but it's an old iteration of the intention craft, so if that it falls is. into enemy hands, I guess yeah, Azrael's already matter. like, well, we're on to And also, two. as far as she's concerned, it's the best one. Yeah. So if she chases the Magisterium and like, this is their best thing, then they'll yeah. be like, oh shit, but then actually that's old information. Mm-hmm. Um, important question, though. Have they lost communication with Lyra and Will via Lord Roke? No. Because Salmachia and Tialis mm. are only speaking to Lord Roke. Mm. He's the one with the Lodestone Resonator that they can communicate with. So how's he going to report back to Asriel? Gonna say no. I think they must have some clever. Does he have another lodestone resonator that someone yes. else can read? Yes. Let's hope. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I think given that this is supposed to be an army of millions, the Galavespians must have the equivalent of a switchboard. Um. <laughs> We've just got like <laughs> the Galavespians. Yeah, maybe. Know. It doesn't seem that way so far. So really. Tialis and Samachia oh, weren't no, communicating so open to like, being... directly with Lord Roke. They were communicating to the Galavespian switchboard you can't have... with the other lodestone. They would then no. play the same tune no. to Lord Roke's lodestone, no. which would go to Lord Roke. Think about how many points of One. manipulation. The no, but the switchboard is the point of failure there. Yeah, it is the point of failure. Yeah. But, you know. They could be just spying on everyone. Yeah. There's no way the Galavespians would trust that. Well, they need to figure something out, eh? Yeah. Well, I think he's just got loads of lodestones that he mm. has and... He'll send messages back, maybe? I maybe. don't know. They're quite heavy, though, the low stones. Are they? Yeah. I guess so. Walnut-sized for a thing. Yeah, probably are quite mm, heavy. Tricky. Mm. What a chapter, though. Yeah, good. So much happens. So Longest much one in the book, I best think. Best Asriel. All the best. So, Asriel. sorry for a, a long, long, long episode, because it is a long chapter, and also we talked a lot about various characters, but That's it's right. all good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode of the Dark Material Podcast. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us. If you're not ready to step back into your own world yet, please visit our website at thedarkmaterialpodcast.com and our Patreon page at patreon.com slash darkmaterialpodcast. You can also hit us up on your lodestone resonators or the switchboard through Facebook at The Dark Material Podcast, Twitter at Dark Material Pod, and Instagram at The Dark Material Podcast. If you want to cut through to our world directly with questions or comments, we're also available at thedarkmaterialpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying The Dark Material Podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps other fans of His Dark Materials find the show. A special thanks to Jeremy Sword at Karma Roulette on Instagram and Claire Wicks at Claire underscore Wicks on Twitter for the music on The Dark Material Podcast. We'll see you next time for Chapter 17, Oil and Lacquer. Mm. But until then, don't forget to tell them stories. <laughs>